please turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 15. Genesis chapter 15. Continuing on this morning um, in our series called Promise. I'm just going to read uh, the whole of chapter 15. Uh, so please have it open in front of you. And then we'll come to consider what these things mean to us. Genesis chapter 15. We've no black Bibles this morning, so I, I don't know the page number. So. Can you all hear me okay as well? Yeah, I am mic'd up, but just in case. Hear the word of our living God. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir, your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and number the stars, if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. But he said, O Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? He said to him, Bring me a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, a ram three years old, a turtle dove and a young pigeon. And he brought him all these, cut them in half, and laid each over each half over against the other. But he did not cut the birds in half. And when the birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram, and behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. Then the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs, and will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for four hundred years. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried in a good old age. And they shall come back here in the fourth generation, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. When the sun had gone down, and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. On that day the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying to your offspring, I give this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Kadmonites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephaim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. Let's come before the Lord in prayer as we um, consider how these things apply to our lives today. Father, we pray for humility uh, in these moments. We pray for help. We pray for your spirit to illuminate your word to our minds and to your hearts. Um, that you would help us to not just trust these things, to believe in them, but to live in light of them, to obey them. And so we just pray for your help now, in Jesus' name. Amen. So we've been uh, considering this idea of promise, God's promises. And the big question that often comes up in our lives, isn't it, is this. How can we be sure? How can we be sure? How can we be sure that God is trustworthy and that he will do what he says he will do that's the question Abraham himself asks in verse 8 if you look down how am i to know how am i to have 
Certainly, he's been called to live by faith. His faith is maturing, but fear is creeping back into his life, and he's looking for concrete confirmation from the Lord. He's saying, I've listened to you, I've obeyed you, but this living by faith thing isn't easy. Please give me certainty. Maybe for each one of us in this room, that can sometimes be the case. We're fearful, maybe about our future, about our health, about work, about family, maybe about paying the bills. Maybe we look around at the world and we ask, can we be certain? How can I be sure God's promises will come true? Maybe as a church, we think that as well sometimes. We give our lives to this. We go, we, we leave, we give up like Abram. We, we work hard to sow the seed of God's word into one another's lives. We seek to disciple one another. But what is our certainty? Maybe we look at the church and our society today, and, and please don't take this the wrong way, but maybe like Abram and Sarah, it feels like it's old. feels like it's just old, it's aging. Where's the next generation coming from? Will God's promises to his people, the church, come true? Will we see future generations and the nations become part of the church? And for those who don't know Jesus, the question from these passages is, is God trustworthy? Can I have certainty about these promises if I should choose to live by faith in them? Well, the answer we're going to see is, yes, God confirms his promises here by covenant. And ultimately, in establishing the new covenant in Christ. So the big response that we're called to have this morning from Genesis 15 to 17 is this, trust and obey God who confirms his promises through covenant. Trust and obey God who confirms his promises through covenant. And if you're wondering what covenant is, we're going to get to that. First thing we're going to see this morning then is this, we can be sure about God's promise, God's covenant will fulfill it. Okay, Abram's just come back from that big battle we thought about last week uh, all these kings fighting each other he's acknowledged the lord's hand and giving him victory but he's still wrestling with faith two big aspects of the promise that he received from the lord was land and offspring people and a place and he shows his desire for confirmation in those things verse two to three god god i still have no children you promised me offspring where's my kids and then in verse eight how can i know you're giving me the land how can i be sure that we're going to get it he has faith. Make a mistake about that. He's not faithless, but he's finding it hard. And so he insteps the Lord and gives him a word. Firstly, his word of presence. Verse 1, if you look down, after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Okay, what a promise to receive after having just come out of battle. He's just been in the midst of a literal battle. The Lord says, Don't worry about the future. I'm your shield. And I'm your reward. Your reward shall be very great. Remember, Abram didn't compromise. He didn't take all the spoil of war that was offered to him by the king of Sodom. God's saying, because you were faithful, your reward in me will be very great. So he gives him a word about his presence. He gives him a word regarding the land in verses 7 and 16. And then we'll see that again in chapter 17. And then he gives him a word here with regards to offspring. Verses 4 to 5, if you look down, behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be rare. Your very own son shall be rare. God <clears throat> reminds him through his word that he will fulfill his promises. And to help him grasp that, okay, it's one thing to just hear it, but God takes him outside 
He gives him a big picture. He says, look toward heaven and number the stars. That's how big my promise is. That's how big my promise is. So shall your offspring be. So when you and I look out at the sky on a dark night and are able to see the stars, that's a reminder that God's promises are big and trustworthy. And we've seen these images throughout these chapters. Stars, dust, your people shall be as the dust of the earth. (coughs) It's like when you lift your sofa up, the dust never seems to go away, even no matter how many times you hoover it. And then the sand and the sea. Your offspring shall be like the grains of sand on the seashore. Next time you're walking on the beach, remember the big promises of God. We're just like Abram, aren't we? Our promises, our problems always seem bigger when we forget how big God's promises are. Our problems will always seem bigger when we forget how big his promises are. When we forget the God who has made those promises. As individuals in the church, when our problems, our pains, our doubts, our fears, our frustrations seem big to us, we must look outside of ourselves, look up to heaven, and remember the big, faithful promises of God. That's what Abraham did. He looked to heaven. He remembered the promises. And verse 6 tells us he believed the Lord. And he counted it as the Lord counted it to him as righteousness. So Abram goes in verse 1 from fear to verse 6. Faith. <clears throat> by considering the promises of God. By taking God at his word. Here we have, in verse 6, one of the most foundational verses for our salvation in the Bible. God's designed us for a relationship with him. But you know the story. We, in our sin, have rejected him. The big question of the whole Old Testament is, how can unrighteous people live with a righteous God, be in relationship with him, know him? How can unrighteous people become righteous so that they can have that relationship with God? And like Abraham, we can't gain that righteousness. Through being good, through our obedience, unrighteousness is both our condition by nature and our choice. So if it can't be gained, it has to be gifted to us. It must come from outside of ourselves. We need someone to come and live the righteous life we are meant to live and take the just punishment from God for our unrighteousness. We need grace. We need God's riches at Christ's expense. And we get that in Christ, the offspring of Abraham, the one promised. 1 Peter 3.18, Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. Abraham was counted righteous by faith in the, 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 the one to come. We are counted righteous by faith in the one who has come. Listen to Romans 4, which is a whole chapter in the book of Romans, which sheds so much life light on the the story of Abraham. It says this in verse 23, but the words it was counted to him as righteousness were not written for him alone. Verse 24, but for you and me too, for ours also, it will be counted to us who believe in him who was raised from the dead, Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. We are to believe like Abram. We're to have faith like him. We're to put our faith in Christ. So the good news is, as individuals, as a church, if our faith is in Christ, 
even if sometimes it's fearful and weak. If our faith is in Christ, we can be sure, we can be certain about God's promises. Now we see God graciously confirm his promises, the promises made in Genesis 12. We see him confirm them here in chapters 15 to 17 with a covenant. Okay, what is a covenant? It's a guaranteed commitment. Okay, someone uh, describes it like this. Two parties make commitments to one another, often summed up in I will and you will or you shall statements. And along with those commitments are sanctions or threats which guarantee the fulfillment of those commitments. Okay, so if, if you commit to do something and you don't do it, there's a consequence. That's what a covenant is. In many ways, God's taking what he said in Genesis 12, okay, he's taking his verbal promises and he's putting them into a contract in verses in chapters 15 to 17. He's taking what he said and he's making it concrete in a written contract. Okay, but it's not quite like our word contracts, okay, it's a contract with love. Or if you want to think about it this way, Genesis 12 was the engagement, okay? Genesis 15 and to 17 are the marriage vows. He's making his promises concrete here through covenant. And then in verses 8 to 21, we see that covenant established. You, you're probably wondering when, when I read this verse, what on earth is going on there? Cutting up animals? Well, we see God get Abraham to gather all these animals, to cut them in half, which he does. The context is, in that time and in that place, covenants and sanctions were imposed symbolically by cutting animals into pieces, and walking through their divided parts. The corpses, the cut corpses, represented the, the vivid, vivid image of the consequences of not keeping covenant. That's what that symbolized. So Abraham does that, he cuts animals. If you imagine them lying down in the middle of this row, then God puts Abraham into a deep sleep. He gives him a vision of the smoking fire pot and a flaming torch which goes through the cut animal pieces. And if you know the book of Exodus, you'll know that torches and flames represent God's presence. So what we have here is God himself walking through the middle of the animal carcasses. Only God. Abram doesn't walk down the middle. God essentially is making an oath here to Abram. He's saying, may the same be done to me as those animals if I fail to keep my promise to you. Then as God's confirming this promise to Abram by a covenant, he reminds him, did you notice? He reminds him that it is through many trials that we walk this life of faith. That God's promises aren't fulfilled overnight. He prophesies that God's people will spend 400 years in captivity. They'll be afflicted, they'll be enslaved. That's what happens in Egypt when Jacob brings the family down to Egypt. But God will deliver them, then they will come out the other side with many positions. That's the Exodus. God's prophesying here what we see in the book of Exodus. The purpose of this delay, this 400 years for them to finally come into the land, which you see in Joshua, verse 16 tells us, is so that the Amorites you're kind of representative of all the nations that are in Canaan at this time, so that the Amorites' full 
the, 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 the full display of the depth of their sin is put on show. That when God goes to kick them out of the land, that the evidence is stacked so high, people will say God is just. And this delay functions in many ways for the same, same for you and me today. If we're believers, the delay of God's promises coming fully and finally when Christ returns, part of that is to trial and test us. We considered that last week. To prepare our faith for that final day. For non-believers, the delay serves to provide time for repentance. But if there's lack of repentance, that delay also means that the evidence will be stacked so high that God's judgment will be completely just. As for Abram, verse 15, if you look down, what's going to happen to him? He's not going to live beyond those 400 years. God says, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried in good old age. He will live a life full of faith. A life full of faith. A full life of faith. He will experience God's faithfulness all the days of his life, knowing that one day his faith will become sight. As I was uh, thinking through this uh, this week, uh, I imagine if Amazing Grace had been written uh, when Abram was around, I could see him for sure singing that um, when he was nearing his end. Through many dangers, toils, and snares, I have already come. His grace has brought me safe this far, and grace will lead me home. The Lord has promised good to me. His word my hope secures. He will my shield and portion be as long as life endures. Yes, when this flesh and heart shall fail and mortal life shall cease, I shall possess within the veil a life of joy and Peace. Verse 18, on that day the Lord made covenant with Abram. So what we have here is what we call the Abrahamic covenant. There'll be a picture on the screen there for you. What we have here is the Abrahamic covenant. It served along with the Mosaic and the Davidic covenant, which are commonly grouped together and called the Old Covenant. When you see the New Testament speak of the Old Covenant, it's kind of primarily referring to the Mosaic, but it encaptures all three of those covenants. They were always designed to bring about a better and bigger kingdom. Not just one nation, but a multitude of nations. They were designed to bring about not the kingdom of Israel ultimately, but the kingdom of Christ through a better covenant. One enacted on better promises. When God walked through the animal carcasses alone, he was saying... As one writer puts it, if this covenant is broken, Abraham, for whatever reason, for, for your unfaithfulness or for mine, I will pay the price. If you or your descendants for whom you're making this covenant fail to keep it, I will pay the price of blood. At that moment, Almighty God pronounced the death sentence. As he walked through the carcasses, he pronounced the death sentence on his son. It's through the blood of Jesus that unfaithful people like you and me can be part of Christ's kingdom, of Christ's bigger and better kingdom. Loved ones, Christ is building his kingdom. Christ is building his church. Christ is the ultimate word that God has not just spoken, but has sent, confirming he keeps his promises. So we can be sure that God keeps his promises. And because of that, because of God's new covenant in Christ, 
we therefore don't need to fear and secondly we don't need to force its fulfillment in our own way and in our own time that's the second thing we see this morning we can be sure about god's promise god's covenant will fulfill it so we shouldn't force it chapter 16 we're going to read uh, the first six verses together have that in front of you <coughs> chapter 16 now sarai abram's wife had borne him no children she had a female egyptian servant whose name was hagar and sarai said to abram behold now the lord has prevented me from bearing children go into my servant it may be that i shall obtain children by her and abram listened to the voice of sarai so after abram had lived 10 years in the land of canaan sarai abram's wife took hagar the egyptian her servant and gave her to abram her husband as a wife and he went into Hagar and she conceived. And when she saw that she conceived, she looked with contempt on her mistress, on Sarah. And Sarah said to Abram, May the wrong be done, done to me be on you. I gave my servant to your embrace. And when she saw that she conceived, she looked on me with contempt. May the Lord judge between you and me. But Abram said to Sarah, Behold, your servant is in your power. Do to her as you please. Then Sarai dealt harshly with her, and she fled from her. So by making a covenant, God has made his promise concrete and proven himself trustworthy. But what do we see happening in 16? Abram and Sarah take matters into their own hands. Verse 2, Sarah says that the Lord has prevented her from having a child. No, it's not true. He's promised a child. Not her she chooses to believe a lie about God, which then leads her to act unfaithfully and sinfully. Here we see that we often deceive ourselves into disobedience by believing lies about God. We deceive ourselves into disobedience, and disobedience, loved ones, always leads to disaster. She tells Abram to take her servant Hagar. Who did you know it says where she came from she's an egyptian red flag take hagar and get her pregnant so that hagar can act as a surrogate and give sarai and abram the child they want you know it's verse two and three what sarah does she takes and she gives she took and she gave we have the woman taking and giving abram listens to his wife an echo of Eden where Eve took and she gave to Adam it's an echo of Eden all over again it's people it's you and I choosing to live by sight rather than by faith it's choosing to be people of the eye rather than people of the ear as we thought about last week Sarai listens to a lie not God's word. Abraham listens to Sarai's voice, not God's. And here we have Abraham, like Adam, like many, most men today, passively abdicating his responsibility to lead his wife, his family, to lead the church, to live in obedient faith to God's promises rather than living faithlessly by sight. How did they get here? How did they get from 15 to chapter 16 by not trusting God's promises by not trusting his big promises by not taking God at his word by not looking to God's covenant 
by not being willing to wait. What have they done? Well, they've sinned against God. They've said, stop you, God. I'm in charge. No to your ways. No to your timing. They've committed sexual immorality. We see here the distortions of polygamy and surrogacy. And Sarai, a woman, has sexually exploited another woman, Hagar. What are the consequences? Because there are consequences. We see there's deep family dysfunction, division, and distress. You see the fallout that we read there? Hagar pridefully holds Sarah in contempt. Okay, she is exploited here, but the text doesn't present her as wholly innocent. Hagar pridefully holds Sarah in contempt. Sarah treats Hagar harshly. Abram and Sarah play the blame game. And then in verse 6, Abram passively says, Sarah, you deal with her. You clean up the mess. And of course we see a child, Ishmael, get caught up in their parents' sinful choices. And the consequences are long-term. Look over to verse 12 in chapter 16. What's going to come of this child? He shall be a wild donkey of a man, his hand against everyone, and everyone's hand against him, and he shall dwell over against all his kinsmen. kinsmen. The consequences aren't just short-term. They're long-term consequences. But, okay, but, but, there is grace. Verses 7 to 12. But there is grace. God goes out after Hagar. He pursues her. He finds her. He listens to her. He sees her. We see that from what she, the way she, uh, what, what name she gives to him. He sees her and he looks after Hagar. Although what has been sinfully done here can't be undone, and there will be consequences that they will have to face up to, God still promises a future for Hagar and Ishmael, which is a future for all of the nations, a future for Abram and Sarai too. So loved ones, we must face up to the consequences of our sinful actions. Hagar has to return, verse 9. Yet no circumstance or sin is beyond the redemption of the restorative power of God when we return to him. No situation, know that, no situation, no choice, no failure, no consequences beyond the redemption and the restoration of the Lord when we return to him. So here we have in chapter 16, here we see that one of the biggest obstacles to God's promises is not those out there, okay? It's not people out there, it's people in here. It's the disobedience of God's own people. Ultimately, we know they won't stop his promises. So we see a warning here that we shouldn't try to force or manufacture or take shortcuts when it comes to our obedience. Okay, here's the big uh, lesson from chapter 16. Beware of trying to build things outside of God's big promises. Beware of trying to build things outside of God's big promises, of trying to build relationships. God would want me to experience love. Love is all, right? So I marry a non-Christian. I commit adultery. I pursue sexual relations with the same sex. We try to build relationships outside of God's promises. We try to build family outside of God's promises. We build family on the wisdom of the world and its priorities rather than the word of God and his promises. 
And let me just say here, and we'll explore this a bit more in a few weeks, we want to acknowledge, okay, the deep pain of infertility and miscarriage. And with much listening, and speaking the truth in love, and gracious conversation and care, we would want to warn against pursuing motherhood at all costs. So what Sarah did. We want to warn against manufacturing motherhood through things like surrogacy or reproductive technologies, such as IVF. We want to warn against controlling motherhood through things like abortion, which is sin, and encourage a fearful wisdom when it comes to contraception. This account warns us that even when conception happens, so they commit this sin, Hagar gets pregnant, even when conception happens, it's not necessarily a sign of blessing, okay? There's still consequences. Let me just say again, to repeat what I said a moment ago, if we've done these things, either intentionally or unintentionally, or in ignorance, know that redemption and restoration is possible because of God's grace. Much wisdom and fearful wisdom is required when it comes to these things. We also see that monogamy, not polygamy, which is what happens in chapter 16, is foundational to family life. Foundational to family life. Anything else leads to heartbreak and devastation. And as we preached through Genesis last year, and as we continue to preach through Genesis, the amount of sexual sin in Genesis is unbelievable, if you, if you know that a bit well keeps coming back to this principle. As soon as we, the church or society, take sex out of the context of heterosexual, monogamous, covenant marriage, it all goes wrong. It's kind of really simple. All comes back to that. As soon as we take sex out of the context of a heterosexual, monogamous, covenant marriage, it all goes wrong. How much pain and hurt and devastation would be avoided if that was the case. We try to build family, we try to build relationships, we try to build a career, maybe, outside of God's promises. Compromising on biblical morals to climb the ladder. Exploiting others for personal gain, treating others harshly. Behaving dishonestly, being deceitful financially. And then trying to build a church outside of God's promises. Psalm 127 verse 1. Unless the Lord builds a house, those who labour build labour in vain. What would that look like for us? It would mean compromising on our beliefs. It means not keeping God's word central and doing the hard, not doing the hard, patient, prayerful work of sowing it into one another's lives. It means we would allow one another to act faithlessly and not confront sin. It would mean prioritize looking good rather than being faithful. It would mean trying to manufacture results rather than humbly relying on the Lord. And instead being content to look and feel weak and frail because it's through weakness that God works. So loved ones, God's ways, God's promises are bigger and better than anything we might try to build. So we must live by faith in them. And be soberly reminded this morning of the consequences, sometimes long-term consequences, of disobedience. We need to face up to them. We can't try and run and hide from them. But know that there's grace in failure. So much grace. Consider the grace Jesus showed to his own disciples. Consider the grace he showed to all the messed up people he came across. 
ones like on earth, people like Abraham and Sarah, people like you and me. No circumstance or sin is beyond his redemption or restoration when we return to him. When we return to him in obedient faith, and that's what we see next, we can be sure about God's promise, God's covenant will fulfill it, so we don't need to force it, but walk by obedient faith in it. Chapter 17. Okay, we're ripping through the chapters. Chapter 17. Here we have, once again, grace when God's people messes up. They got the promise, they screwed up, but there's more grace. Covenant began in 12, chapter 12, confirmed in 15, is now graciously, how, how do you think we as humans would respond? I've given you a promise, you've went and majorly screwed up, so what, I'm going to remove the privileges of that promises? What does God do? He expands the promise. He graciously expands and confirms the promise once again in chapter 17, 13 years down the line. Sam Renahan, an author who's written around God's covenant, says this. Genesis 17 is an expansion of the covenant because God expanded it and enlarged it through a promise of royalty. This is the first time we see kingship added to the covenant and a demand for loyalty. Here's the call for obedience. Faith and obedience go together. We see the expansion of the covenant by Abram's new name, okay? So I can finally call him Abraham now and I'll have to try and figure that out. He's now called Abraham, which means father of a multitude of nations. He's expanding it. And you see in verse 6, 7 and 8, exceedingly fruitful. Not just fruitful, exceedingly fruitful. Not just a covenant, covenant, an everlasting covenant. Not just a possession, an everlasting possession. It's like God's running out of adjectives here to describe how much he's expanding this. And we see the royalty promise in verses 6 and 16. Kings shall come from you. And we see that in Sarah's name change. Sarah has now become Sarah, princess. A name which means noble descents will come from you. Kings will come from you. So we see the royalty promise. We see the loyalty to man. Verse 1 in chapter 17. We see God calling Abraham to walk before me. Okay, you've got to walk the talk, Abraham. You've got to walk. And then in verse 9 of chapter 17, you've got to keep my covenant. Or keep my covenant and the law that he is given here to keep is the law of circumcision so the, the promise is still of grace okay make no mistake about that still all of grace is to be received by faith but obedience is still required just as, as it is for Christians today we receive by faith alone yes but true saving faith is always accompanied by good works it always leads to obedience. The obedience called for here in chapter 17 is circumcision. Circumcision was used to signify who was part of the covenant community. Not getting circumcised was a, a big deal. It means you would be cut off, verse 14, from the covenant community. The question is, if by nature Abraham, we disobey God's positive commands, how can we sure we'll stay part of that community? How can we be sure we won't be cut off? We need someone to come and truly walk, verse 1, blamelessly. We need someone to come and keep God's commandments for us, perfectly. That's what Jesus does. 
as the Abrahamic covenant in the Old Testament gives way to the new covenant in Christ, you and I, faithless, failing people, get to put our faith in Jesus who was perfectly obedient. So we can rest secure that if we are Christ's, we are Abraham's offspring, and we are heirs of an eternal kingdom. As we move into the New Testament, we see that for our faith to be an obedient faith, we require not circumcision of the flesh, but circumcision of the heart. We need new hearts, and that's what Jesus gives us. New hearts with God's law that was external before that, written onto them, empowered by the Spirit, so that obedience is now possible. And the visible signs of the new covenant are no longer circumcision, can I get an amen? But baptism and the Lord's Supper. The visible signs of the new covenant are no longer circumcision, they are now baptism and the Lord's Supper. Baptism serving as the initial visible sign that the believer has joined God's people through union with Christ, and then the Lord's Supper as the ongoing sign of the promises of God to us. And in them, we too profess by faith our participation and trust in those promises as we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes and as we profess our faith in baptism. How does Abraham respond in chapter 17? How is he doing? Is he getting there? He falls on his face. And then in verses 22 to 23, he responds in obedience. Verses 22 to 23, Abraham obeys that same day. Doesn't hesitate. He responds in obedience immediately. So too for you and I, we are to live by faith in Christ. We are, and we are to busy ourselves by obeying God's commandments in the strength of the Spirit. We're not to busy ourselves by building things impatiently or unfaithfully outside God's promise. And obedience to Christ, okay, obedience for the Christian, for the new covenant Christian in Christ, is not a duty. It's a joy. John 15 Jesus says, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Obedience, okay? Obedience isn't just a thing we give back. Obedience is the means by which we're drawn into the very love of Christ and of God. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I've kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I've spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. If you want to be a joyful Christian, if you want to be a Christian who experiences, not just knows, experiences the love of God. Be an obedient Christian. Build your life inside God's promises and on God's word. We get to do that. We get to build our lives, our families, our church on the bigger and better promises of Jesus, knowing for sure that in him all will be fulfilled. So loved ones, let's trust and obey God who confirms his promises through covenant. Let's trust and obey by faith in Christ, the one who brings about the gracious new covenant. Let's seek to live by obedient faith in the promises of God, which are bigger and better than anything that this world has to offer us. Let me pray for us.
Father, we come to you as those who so often, like Abram and Sarai, have weak faith, as those who often stray into disobedience. Father, forgive us. Please help us. Father, help us to live in light of your big promises, to live in light of Christ. Help us to lift our eyes to the heavens. Help us to look to Christ in the midst of our fear and, and our doubt and our wandering hearts, Father. Would you give us the grace we need to, to live these things out, Father? And would you help us in times of disobedience to return to you knowing that you want to embrace us and to forgive us and to help us obey you? Just pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.